Welcome to Manners and Madness, a Jane Austen and David Lynch podcast. My name is Maya Adkins. And I'm Christian Cabrera. And today we are doing our part two discussion of David Lynch's Eraserhead. <laughs> I'm very excited to get to the rest of it. Um, Me too. Well, let's just start off right off the bat with our favorite scenes. Okay. My favorite scene would be the um, performance, I guess you would call it, by the lady in the radiator. <laughs> the song. Um, the song. Oh, and then it. she does her little, um, I think it's a scene where she does her dance too, right? Uh-huh. Where her, her hands all pushed up against her body <laughs> and she's shuffling back and forth and it's like <laughs> these like very almost like innocent but also menacing at the same time smiles at the camera. Yes. Just like, <laughs> and just like stepping on these gross Thing. umbilical cord slash sperm thingies. yeah so <laughs> gross um and i was like what is that what does it mean oh my god i had that song <laughs> stuck in my head all week even oh, though yeah. there's only three lines but yeah i was gonna say it's so over <laughs> but i thought that scene was so like i don't know it just like made it like an like i remember it vividly like it was just like it made an impact on me and i was like yeah huh what well, a weird scene. <laughs> my scene is an, an equally absurd scene. My favorite scene is actually the eraser head scene. Okay. Where the boy finds the head in the street, yeah. takes it to the pencil factory, they drill out a core, and turn it into erasers. And I don't know what it is, but I feel like something about that scene is so incongruous with the rest of the movie, but uh-huh. yet it feels so symbolic of maybe what the movie's about. Uh-huh. But I just really like it. It just really sticks in my head and it's like, oh, I want to see this whole crazy movie that's happening in this other world. Yeah. <laughs> well, like that whole like, even when the head first appears, like the old man that's like like just laying down yeah. and he like sees the head and the kid like runs up and it's like, "It's mine." Yeah. And the guy's like like he seems like he wants the head for some reason. Well, I guess that's how the precious commodity of erasers are made of this. T- <laughs> they really world. need to find some just <laughs> random severed human heads um okay so um i guess let's get into i feel like we should do more banter but (laughs) (laughs) let's get right i mean we're gonna have plenty of banter and yeah once we start talking about them because it gets even crazy So most um, interpretations you see of Eraserhead talk about how they think it's about the fear of parenthood, which I definitely think is in there. I mean, that's obviously a theme. But uh, David Lynch's daughter was born, um, you know, several years before in Philadelphia with Uh severely clubbed feet, which required extensive Uh surgery. And so that's kind of why people think like, oh, the fear of, you know what's gonna happen to your baby right and it also makes that scene with the um the blow up between mary and henry Mm -hmm. feel like oh maybe there were some real moments of tension because i'm sure um i guess i kind of already talked about this but um a lot of people think that it has to do with his time in philadelphia because when they moved from the midwest the family spent five years there and it was described as an atmosphere of violence, hate, and filth. And so that is kind of, people think that's what gave David Lynch kind of this heaven slash hell vision of America. Uh-huh. So there's always the duality in his work. Okay. What's well, like, 
um, between, so the hell would be Philadelphia. Yeah. And the heaven would be the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Okay. I can kind of see that. Yeah. Um, Jack Nance uh-huh. was married to Catherine Coulson, who uh-huh. was the log lady, who yes. was also, um, she did a lot of work on the film. She was like a production assistant and she did camera operations. You know, she was basically kind of like the mother of the production. She right. fed everybody. She helped support the film financially by donating her waitressing money wow. uh, to the film. Lynch also had a paper route that was totally dedicated. The money from that is dedicated to the film. That's so crazy. Um, Jack Nance was so devoted to the film that he kept his hair that way for <laughs> all of the five years or four wow. years that they were filming it. Even when it was halted for a complete year, mm-hmm. um, he still kept the hair. Wow. Um, Catherine was credited as assistant director. Um, oh, once while um, David Lynch was staying with Coulson and Nance, uh-huh. Catherine collapsed. I think it was at her work, but um, she collapsed with violent convulsions. Oh. And But Lynch's, Lynch um, had really quick action in calling the emergency service and had a really soothing manner and um, was credited with helping save her life in that situation. Whoa, yeah. wow. That's crazy. <laughs> God, Jesus. I know. And this is nice. Even though they barely got the movie made and they really didn't think anyone was ever really going to see it, uh-huh. David Lynch and the rest of the crew um, and cast all sat down together and he said he wanted to make sure that everybody, since they were all such a big part of making the film, everyone got um, equal share of the profits. So they wow. worked out a point system. So everyone got points and they all still get residuals to this day. Catherine Coulson said that she sent her daughter to college on the residuals from Eraserhead. Whoa. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah. He never explained how he made the baby, which we said. Um, Want to know. <laughs> he would just say that it was born nearby or uh-huh. maybe it was found <laughs> sure <laughs> um jack nance affectionately called it spike when they were filming okay yeah i heard about that um and it's been speculated by many that it was made from either a skinned rabbit or a lamb fetus or maybe a cat <laughs> i could see but no one really knows i could see rabbit yeah. The structure of the face kind of seemed rabbit, but it seemed really large for a rabbit. Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah. That's weird. Um, so the first screening was at the Filmex Film Festival because since they couldn't get it into Cannes, they tried to get into a couple other film festivals and couldn't. And um, But they got in in Los Angeles at the Filmex Festival. Okay. Um, apparently, <laughs> well, there's conflicting stories that Lynch has told. One, he said that he was too nervous and he just smoked out in the hall in alley the whole time <laughs> and in another one he said that he kept pressing this button that would make the volume go up by two decibels uh-huh. because he was like i didn't make it loud enough or you know this right. the voices aren't loud enough and so that by the end it was like extremely unpleasant experience so i'm not wow. sure which one is true but um apparently based off that first screening he felt that it was 20 minutes too long and he immediately went and cut it off of the, you know, the final cut of the movie, which you're not supposed to do. Jesus. Um, so he cut 20 minutes out immediately. And so only that one audience has ever seen the full length. The full length. And there are definitely a couple of scenes that um, were in some of the documentary, like just images from. Right. Which I think maybe rounded out the other people in the building, uh-huh. like what was going on around them. But yeah. um, I think that's all. 
that's all stuff that was cut out but it didn't look very nice <laughs> it looked uh, pretty disturbing oh is it like available in like deleted scenes anywhere or no i don't think so wow um i tried to look it up and i couldn't find any like youtube version or anything like that wow. so i think it's gone um maybe because he cut it off of the original and just you know can never get that back but you would think it would be on the criterion um box yeah. set if they had it still maybe it's like a purposeful like he doesn't want to release it yeah so um it ended up running at midnight as a midnight movie and i have watched this really great documentary i definitely recommend if you have stars or you know want to get a free subscription of stars for a week or whatever mm-hmm. um or just want to check out this documentary like rent it or something it's called midnight movies um <laughs> colon <laughs> something i can't remember what the colon was but it kind of went through like the history of midnight movies which was like kind of a phenomenon in the 70s where okay um theaters would just show like really out there crazy stuff like john waters movies Um, actually john waters was a big influence on eraserhead becoming a popular midnight movie because he saw it and was obsessed with it so he would go on tour and talk about eraserhead more than his own movie (laughs) that's so cool like how like awesome to be like you know making your first like really full-length film and then john waters is like i love this movie so yeah. much like wow what a <laughs> yeah honor. like rocky horror picture show would be considered a midnight movie um huh. there were several other like foreign ones uh-huh. that were cool um it seemed cool um one that pretty much introduced reggae to america cool i can't remember what that one was called either oh huh. see you guys i can't remember things um, <laughs> unless i write them down um so okay yeah i ran until as a midnight movie until 1981 I believe uh-huh. it also had a run at the 1978 London Film Festival and the 1986 Telluride Film Festival. I think as a midnight movie at both of those. Huh. So reviews at the time <laughs> were mostly negative, okay. featuring such phrases as a sickening bad taste exercise and murkily pretentious. Uh, what? I know. But, you know, at the time... Like, John Waters, for example, was taking those kind of reviews and putting them on the poster. Like, you couldn't get a better review than that. (laughs) Right. Well, it's, like, it's so funny when people call, like, these, like, kind of, like, absurd, off-the-wall movies, like, pretentious. Like, okay. I feel like a lot of people, when they watch David Lynch, if they don't get it, you know, and don't want to try to get it, they'll just automatically dismiss it as, oh, it's trying to be above my head. But it's not trying to be above your head. Believe me. (laughs) I feel like, like, these, like, absurdist, surrealist kind of movies, like that's not like like the intention of it is for you to it's trying to get in your head right <laughs> so it's trying to make you think and like form your own interpretation and your own ideas about it and it's like i feel like it, when people say it's pretentious it's like their own insecurities of like well i just it's a lot to think about and i don't want to use my brain power for yeah. it yeah it always goes back to your own insecurities <laughs> Aww, fear um but later the reviews start to get better um in 1984, Lloyd Rose of The Atlantic said that Lynch was one of the most unalloyed surrealists ever to work in the movies. Lynch's imagery isn't reaching out to us from his films. We're sinking into them. Wow. Yeah. Um, that's a real, I mean, it is a visceral kind of a movie. You know? Oh, yeah. It really, like, gets sucked into it. All of David Lynch's work, I find. Oh, yeah. Um, today, the opinion is highly favorable. Eraserhead has like a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is crazy for even, even as like a cult hit, you know, classic movie at this point, it's still a kind of a crazy movie to have a 90%. But maybe, you know, you just don't bother to review it if you don't bother to watch it. Yeah. (laughs) Um, so, okay. 
while Lynch was working on The Elephant Man, which was, I believe, his next movie after this, uh-huh. he met Stanley Kubrick, who revealed to him that Eraserhead was his favorite film. Whoa. Yeah. And H.R. Geiger uh-huh. um, cited Eraserhead as one of the greatest films he had ever seen, and that it came closer to realizing his own vision than even his own films. Wow. <laughs> That's so crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like, even, like, years after, like all these bad reviews and like you know being it shown to like not a wide audience like these great filmmakers yeah and actually i didn't write this down but um it got chosen to be in the library of congress um at a certain point i don't know why i didn't write that down i could have sworn i did oh yeah i did (laughs) i put it in the first (laughs) section it was in 2004 it was um preserved in the national film registry by the united uh, by the united states library of congress as a culturally Oh my god! Culturally, <laughs> historically, or aesthetically significant piece wow. of art, and just recently, just uh-huh. this last month, probably since we've recorded the last episode, David Lynch got an honorary Oscar. Oh wow! Yeah. Really? And he had one of the shortest acceptance speeches in Oscar history. <laughs> he said, "To the Academy and everyone who helped me along the way, thanks." Then he looked at his Oscar and said, "You have a very nice face." And they said goodnight, <laughs> and that was it. And um, Laura Dern said that afterwards, after he got the award and they went uh-huh. out to smoke in the <laughs> alley, <course>. as usual, <laughs> he, um, she asked him how he felt, and he just said that, we're so lucky. They're not our ideas. They move through us, and we catch them. Wow. That's so, so it's just, I love to look at the way David Lynch looks at the world. Yeah, I mean, like, I think, like, clearly like long overdue but i feel like he's also an artist who doesn't need that kind of stuff necessarily like because because like if you appreciate his work like you just get it yeah and he's not out to try to get accolades i don't think yeah and i mean i think he's making movies for himself you know i'm sure he loves it when other people recognize it but i think he'd be perfectly happy to keep making them even if no one was watching them oh for sure yeah that's awesome good old david lynch (laughs) (laughs) so i guess we're on to the second half of the recap all right i'm excited (laughs) so the last thing we saw was the neighbor walking down the hallway all wet which is what i say is the bridge between the first and second half so mary's left henry is laying there and the baby is quiet for once and henry looks very concerned so he gets up and he gets something out of a little drawer and he goes over and he shoves something in this baby's mouth and at first you're like what are you doing henry yeah. <laughs> but then you realize oh he's just taking its temperature yeah and um he takes the temperature but it's normal so he's relieved but wait <laughs> he turns around and the baby is covered with maggots and bugs and and it looks disgusting (laughs) diseased yes it's got like stuff coming out of its mouth it is so gross so henry realizes oh no it really is sick (laughs) the way he looks back he's like oh you are sick (laughs) i was like yeah clearly something's wrong with it so um i think that's when he might put up the um hot water bottle Mm -hmm. it's like a uh what's it called humidifier thingy yeah like um like What's a steam a, i like a makeshift whatever hot plate yeah thing. yeah something like that yeah 
so okay the next day oh okay 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 <laughs> i was trying to skip some stuff the next day i think i guess henry has got his tie on he's got the steam going for the baby um he's still curious about this worm he keeps going back and looking at this worm and he seems like he's gonna go out to check his mail again right it's just i mean he doesn't say anything but that's kind of the impression i got and he goes to open the door and the baby immediately starts crying and so he kind of he i think he tries it a couple times before he just gives up and is like okay i'll just sit with this gross steamy baby (laughs) and (laughs) apparently he must sit there all day because then it's night again and henry is laying in bed again transfixed by this radiator and this is maybe the start of a dream that lasts perhaps the rest of the movie or at least a good portion of it it's hard to say you know when does the dream start and when does it end or what even is a dream but um so in the radiator there's a stage we've already seen now we start to see a blonde woman in a dress with these super puffy cheeks (laughs) i saw someone describe her as being bearded but i don't think that's a beard i no doesn't look like a beard to me at it all. looks like it's part of her skin yeah it just looks like a puffy cheeks yeah but they're kind of like they're not smooth no <laughs> they're crinkly yeah yeah it's almost like um like what's that um like elephantitis oh maybe maybe a little bit some, like just reminiscent of that yeah she's got um like poof balls yeah and they're all like veiny and bumpy and yeah but she's holding her hands together like almost like a little prayer like excitement and she's shuffling across the stage smiling delightedly the whole time meanwhile like these umbilical cord sperm things are dropping from the ceiling all around her and she is stepping on them with glee yeah to this organ fats waller organ music right that's the first time we see her so then we cut back and we see henry still asleep um next to him we see mary under the covers like moving her arms and clicking her teeth wrapped in the blankets and squirming and um her arms almost look like the chicken wings yeah from that dinner yeah. scene yeah I can't think about that <laughs> um and she like rubs her eye and it squeaks quick 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 yeah. that that made me so uncomfortable i yeah. was like oh, stop it give it i was watching it with another friend the other day and he was like ew yeah <laughs> um so henry's trying to get her to move over because she's just like taking up the whole bed and he's not really thinking that it's weird that she's there it's like oh she must have come back um so he tries to get her to move over he's pushing her and he reaches down and finds one of these umbilical cord spermy things and so he keeps finding them of various sizes some that even seem to have like a fetus attached to the end yeah and he's throwing them against the wall horrified um And as he's doing this, the sound of a kettle boiling is building. It's like... Right. (laughs) To a point. Yeah. Um, His little special cupboard opens, and the little worm comes to life and starts to crawl away and up the wall, and then suddenly it's in the mud, and it's going in and out of the mud and getting bigger claymation style. Yeah. Until... But it's actually really good. I... You know, oh, I yeah. saw 80s claymation, and I feel like that's probably just as good, if not better, than most 80s claymation. Yeah, it's really I mean, smooth. it is just a worm, but it's, like, getting bigger until finally its mouth opens, Ugh. and it looks like a, I don't know, it's kind of, like, flappy and sandwormy. Um, and we, I don't know if we're looking through this hole, if the, the wormhole, but we see Henry 
as if we're looking at him from the other planet uh-huh. and in like his reflection in a puddle. Uh-huh. It's hard to tell at first because it kind of looks like there's a hole into his room that you're looking in. But yeah. then it's kind of like, oh, no, you're looking at his reflection in this puddle. Not reflection, but like a like a magic like, mirror yeah. <laughs> type Yeah, like thing. looking through like a two-way mirror almost maybe. Yeah, yeah. So I thought maybe it was the wormy mouth because it's right after that. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that's like a, <laughs> a way into the other world. but Maybe. And Henry's just sitting there trying to get loose threads out of his PJs. Yeah. Just, <laughs> just picking sitting there in this craziness um he hears a knock at the door and this i feel like this is all still part of the dream me too um he goes he opens it it's just blackness and then slowly the neighbor walks into the light and she looks around she says that she's locked herself out and it's so late and (laughs) so sensual (laughs) she's so she looks like she's definitely interested in sex but she doesn't really seem all that pleased except for that she's kind of looks like she's laughing at herself like i can't believe this yeah i'm gonna totally make his night or i don't know what she's thinking but um the baby is like crying as she's in there so baby i mean henry reaches down and covers its face with his hand like mm-hmm. and that's what i'm like, like don't sh- suffocate your baby yeah. henry <laughs> so mean she asks where his wife is and he's confused because he thought she was just in the bed with him a second ago yeah um and he's like i guess she went back to her parents i'm not sure (laughs) she just got up and left and uh the neighbor wants to know if she can spend the night you know since it's so late and all but okay so the last time we saw this neighbor was her walking down the hall when mary left all wet and like but i think a whole day passes between then and now so at first i was like yeah. thinking there's no way this is real because we saw her come back to her apartment a long time ago but there's like a whole day that passes um anyway <laughs> so we see them making out on the bed but they're not on the bed they're in the bed yeah. in a giant puddle yeah in the bed <laughs> yeah and like some like milky yeah white water yeah Catherine colson told a funny story about how it was freezing and they kept having to like drive up to the main house to get hot water to pour, to pour in, in but they were having like a fancy party up at the main house so it's very <laughs> awkward that's so interesting yeah but everyone was a good sport um so they're making out and she looks back at this baby and she's like looking at it like oh my god what is this and she's transfixed and henry is like trying to push her face back <laughs> like ignore don't look the, at baby. the baby <laughs> ignore it and they both kind of submerged into the water except for her hair except for just a little <laughs> bit of her hair because you know you just can't get that to sink nope <laughs> that is some poofy unless you hair. get deeper <laughs> um although it looks kind of cool with just like the weird tuft of hair just Floating. sitting on the top yeah uh, i don't know i don't know but that, like what would you, i mean was that like what was that scene about like was it like obviously like adultery but yeah i don't know that was it was like a really interesting like weird scene to me because well it does it's a big catalyst for the ending right because yeah because of his own what he's thinking about this but i feel like it's kind of about henry Mm -hmm. and how he thinks people are seeing him like okay um because again i don't know how much of it is real but right if it is all a dream 
then he's really concerned with her seeing the baby and like you know later on we see that she sees him as the baby so yeah yeah well i i was um i was kind of thinking like like another more of like escapism from his current situation oh yeah for sure he's already been on vacation escapism and he (laughs) does not want to marry her and does not want to care for this baby yeah but has to and (laughs) he's just like this is his way of like escaping yeah yeah um because clearly he was transfixed by the neighbor from the beginning oh for sure yeah um so yeah that's why i think that this could all just be like a fantasy that he's dreaming as a form of escapism yeah definitely um so while they're going under the water the organ music was swelling and then we just see the woman um with her all we see is like a shaft of her face in light mm-hmm. and she i guess is watching at the planet float by okay yeah because <laughs> we see the planet <laughs> float by and we see her and she yeah. looks like she's watching it and then back into the radiator we see puffy cheek girl um <laughs> or i should call her the lady <laughs> of the radiator <laughs> puffy cheek girl <laughs> and she is singing in heaven <laughs> she basically it's like in heaven everything is fine you've got your good things and i've got mine right that's maybe, those are the only lines <laughs> maybe add into the whole fantasy narrative yeah and i mean i do think the lady in the radiator represents like heaven or you know the good things yeah and i don't know is she's telling him to kill her baby his baby because like it'll be better on right. the other side um she's definitely killing babies on stage yeah i'm wondering if like um it has to do with like or not babies i guess but you know but like fetuses or whatever yeah. um if, it, if like she's like a representation of like how heaven is thought of like you know morally good and you know very connected with christianity but like how obviously there are very dark things within christianity and maybe like what's good isn't always what seems good is not always what's good it could be clearly she's like killing these fetuses and (laughs) except for i don't think that it really has much to do with christianity i think Um, because he's really into transcendental meditation yeah so i was thinking like in relation to like heaven how um just like she um is like stepping on these things and then she's telling basically telling him like kill your baby and i'm wondering if it's because it was conceived out of wedlock and um, and it might be me just pulling from because I was raised Catholic, like <laughs> my own things. Maybe but I I just I don't know. I got that feeling of like, you know, she is like not all she seems. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, she's definitely slightly horrific. Yeah. But yet she seems to be the only thing representing light. Yeah. In the movie, purity, maybe almost. Mm-hmm. Um. So <laughs> she's singing Henry shows up and joins her on stage he stares at her and she opens her palms towards him and he touches her and there's a white light but mm-hmm. then he lets go and he looks scared but then he touches her again and it's another white light and he looks at her again and then she disappears if that was jarring and then suddenly in her place is the man from another planet the yeah, yeah disease looking guy and a great wind comes and blows all of the little spermies away and a plant gets rolled on stage, which is very reminiscent of the one on his bedside table, mm-hmm. except for Waybaker. 
he kind of retreats to behind this like half curtain and starts rolling the rod of the curtain. Uh-huh. And suddenly, boop, his head pops off <laughs> <laughs> and flings into the middle of the stage. Um, the plant starts to bleed. Uh-huh. Or at least oh, some sort of dark watery goo. Uh, something comes out of it and um the the head is like in the middle of this and meanwhile on where henry's neck used Mm -hmm. to be the baby is coming out of the collar of the shirt and it's crying of course he's still rolling the rod and the baby's just crying and crying and crying it gets amplified amplified to like this fever pitch and the head falls through the puddle of plant blood Mm -hmm. it sails through the air and lands on the cement in front of an industrial building right where a man on a bench sees it it's like the first instance where we have people outside yes where we actually have people outside doing something (laughs) (laughs) besides henry um a young boy runs up snatches the head and the old man is like what (laughs) i wanted that yeah but he's not quick enough (laughs) nope so the kid brings it to a strange office of mm-hmm. some sort. Um, the man behind the counter starts ringing for someone incessantly on the bell. Ring, ring, yeah, ring, ring, ring. Almost like panicking. Yeah. And his boss comes in and is super hot. He comes yeah. in hot. <laughs> he's, like, he's like, I'll tell you. And he's like, look, there's the kid. He's got a head. <laughs> <laughs> so he sees that and he suddenly all smiles. <laughs> what you got there? What Just you got a head. there, sonny? <laughs> um so they take i just love this whole insane scene i just love it um Mm -hmm. (laughs) they take the head into the room where there's another man at a desk who drills a core from the head presumably rubber yeah we just assume his head is made from rubber at least in this scene oh yeah he takes the core puts it in the machine um and the machine starts and we see a pencil eraser manufacturing line. (laughs) And I always get the weirdest, like, smell sense memory of erasers when I watch this scene. (laughs) I just start smelling erasers. It's really weird. Yeah. Um, (laughs) So they're putting the erasers on the pencil. The man takes a random set of pencils. Uh Uh-huh. And draws a line and tests the eraser and goes, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) And the boss pays the boy quite a bit, so, you know. Um, And then the man blows away the eraser shavings, and we can now see that these are eraser shavings. We see um, it transition back to Henry in bed, and I feel like we've seen these eraser shavings before, like, especially at the beginning when the sperm goes in. Um, Henry wakes up. He shakes his head. That was a weird dream he just had. Yeah. (laughs) I was like, um, I'm just now, like, thinking about um just like i guess because it's never really explained like my interpretation of that scene and the symbolism behind it and how now i'm thinking like the lady in the radiator is like maybe like a symbol of like i guess nowadays what we would consider like middle america like the masses in middle america like morally represented as like morally quote-unquote pure and rather than like you know the bicoastal which are more like modernized and right you know hustle bustle greasy whatever um and i think about like him 
having his head popped off and like becoming an eraser by these people we don't know uh-huh. but seem to be like facilitators of something mm-hmm. and i almost think of it like how his transformation of having this child and being married now and becoming like very like you know what you would expect someone of that time period that's like that's what you have to do that's the way it goes uh-huh. um how he's becoming like his head becoming an eraser like he's like erasing all these um maybe like more like this progression of his life and uh-huh. he's becoming part of the norm. Yeah. And like, you know, how it's like there's no progression for society. He's just becoming another part where we're kind of like erasing anything new. Yeah. Kind of. Yeah. I mean, I definitely think that the eraser part is significant. Um, I I kind of ranch on this whole like theory of what I think it's uh-huh. about. So um, maybe I'll just save it for that because mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to... I don't even know if I understand what I wrote when I wrote down my theory, yeah. but it's hard to it's, put into words. It's hard to put into words, but um, so I'll wait a little while. But I definitely think that because it's so incongruous with the rest, and it is called Eraserhead, and right. it was the whole idea of it to begin with. I definitely think there's something to like the life you're building for yourself is turning you into a destructive force instead of a creative force. So yeah. like all you can do is erase as opposed to create. Right, like there's no room for it now. Yeah. So, okay, so we're out of the dream. Henry looks at the bed. It looks like only he was sleeping in it. I mean, he remember Harry, Mary was in the bed at one point. Right. He was had the neighbor from across the hall. Um, so he's wondering, what, was that all a dream? Right. He looks out the window, and it's the first time we see people on the street, and they're fighting around this puddle, another yeah. puddle. Um, he hears footsteps outside, and he peeks out the door, and he knocks on the neighbor's door, and there's no answer. So he goes back inside, and um, the baby starts laughing at him like it's a 90-year-old <laughs> chain smoker. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> <laughs> and that's when you're like, oh, no, I don't feel sorry for this baby anymore. It's, I was like, this baby's a jerk. <laughs> it's, it's a jerk. <laughs> um, it's funny, though. Yeah, and he's obviously annoyed by this. Um he lays down, he lays there, and the baby is still laughing to himself about this. <laughs> the baby is tickled. And the wind is howling outside, and I swear, anytime it gets dark outside, they have the worst weather in this town. It's constantly, like, storming Oof. and howling. Um, yeah, and the baby is still laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and so there's lots of sounds. We hear footsteps. We hear the lamp sounds. We hear the wind. We hear the elevator. And when we hear the elevator, he decides to um, sit up because he's been laying in his bed for a while just listening to all the sounds. And he puts on his coat. He looks into the hallway, and there is the neighbor with a bald, gropey, kind of grossy man. (laughs) And he stares at Henry, um, or she stares at Henry, and she sees him with the baby head, which is kind of like from his dream the night before. Although I don't know if she's actually seeing him that way or if he is imagining that she is seeing him that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm. Yeah. I want to talk about this in my final thoughts because it's like, I just like, I'm like learning. I'm like coming to these ideas as I'm talking about it. And I'm like, <laughs> oh my God, it's making more sense. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't think that she, I don't, I don't think I, that any of like it seems like he, I think he she is was seeing like, it that way. Yeah. Yeah. It's his version. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, he turns off the lights and looks through the keyhole and sees her shut her door. So he's sitting there, sitting on the floor, and he's definitely 
mad. He looks like a stereotypical, like, oh, I slid down the wall. I'm so upset kind of sitting. Um, And he picks up the scissors. (laughs) He looks unsure of himself, but he girds himself and cuts away the bandages. And the baby is freaking out while he's doing this, like making all these pathetic whimpery noises and it's so so weirdly realistic and it's so gross (laughs) i was like leave it alone (laughs) leave it alone i know but i mean i know i was wondering what's under those bandages oh yeah i was like let's see (laughs) why are you just laying it there pick up that baby (laughs) so um he cuts it away the baby's freaking out um the bandages open to reveal that the baby didn't have any skin apparently It only had guts. <laughs> Bandages were holding everything together. Ugh. And in the guts, we can see a couple of air sacs, which I assume are lungs. Yeah. And Henry <sighs> takes that... the scissors <sighs> and he kind of is like, I, I can't do it, but he does it anyway. Punctures. He stabs the lungs. Goo comes out and the baby starts spitting up blood and squirming. Its chest starts to erupt like a fourth grader's volcano from Science Fair Project. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, like, puffy. Yeah, it's like that... Uh, I can't like, remember what it's called. Yeah, but it's Material like baking that, soda yeah. or something. Um, the electricity Foam. in the room starts sparking, and the baby's neck starts to elongate Ugh. super long, and it's still spitting, and Henry just looks horrified. Um, and... After it's elongated to a certain length, it turns into a giant baby head, which starts disapparating all around the room and reappearing. And the electricity goes out and suddenly the baby's head is gigantic and taking up like the whole room and it's coming at Henry. And um, apparently in the original script, at least, Uh the the head was supposed to open and eat Henry. And you're supposed Uh to see just his legs going down the baby's (laughs) gullet. Um, (laughs) That didn't end up happening, but... So, okay, so, but we see the baby taking up all the room. Henry is cowering. And then we see the planet yes. breaking apart. So, obviously, this act of destruction has caused this whatever. I don't even know if the guy from the planet is evil, but the way he's all diseased, it seems like evil forces controlling your life type of thing. And yeah. he's kind of breaking them apart with this act mm-hmm. of killing the baby. Um, Almost like setting free. is what Because it, it wasn't, like, it, it's not like it, like disintegrated like it was cracking open yeah yeah um it's just yeah so um uh, with the planets breaking apart we kind of see the the photo cover the cover of the movie uh, with henry's head and the racer shavings behind it yes and we see the hole in the planet and we enter that hole and we see the man from another planet trying to move these sparking levers but he can't because it's too hard so like he's just lost control this right. choice is like things have been it's set in motion upset the entire order of the world but maybe in a good way because we get the final scene mm-hmm. which is the lady in the radiator and a white light henry comes up and she hugs him and henry is smiling and he looks more at peace and it feels like a happy ending like we did it yeah we defeated we the darkness and it abruptly ends to credits <laughs> oh yeah yeah <laughs> And man, that was quite the movie. Yeah, it was a journey. It was, it was quite the climax, yeah. and there was very little denouement. <laughs> no, 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 no. Wow, it was it was a lot, but it was like a good a lot. If that makes sense, yeah. like it's just one of those things where you keep <laughs> thinking about it and you keep forming these new ideas. Yeah. 
And the second half of the movie is more like almost one giant dream sequence sequence i feel like it's very much more psychological and uh-huh. um yeah this is it definitely feels more surrealistic it doesn't feel as humorous or like absurdist no, it feels all. like he's breaking free of his absurdism for the first half almost yeah like yeah okay <laughs> Okay, before we get to our final thoughts, let's do our second deep dive. Okay. This one is shorter because um, I thought maybe we should leave some extra room for our final thoughts because yes. we got a lot to say. And because, um, you know, there's only really one character worth doing a deep dive on. Mm-hmm. And that is Henry Spencer. Yes. Which I didn't even know his last name was Spencer. <laughs> yeah, I only knew because... well. Um, I think the only way we know is on his mail slot, I think. It oh, says Spencer on it. That's probably it. Yeah, I think that's the only way we would find that out. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people have considered um, the character of Henry Spencer to be a everyman character. Okay. Um, an everyman character. Okay, well, first, before we get into the everyman character, we'll just talk a little bit about um, Jack Nance. Um, uh-huh. When he came into audition for the role, Um he said he wasn't really into weird student films and the interviews seemed to go fairly poorly. But then um, Lynch walked him out to his car and he noticed on a VW outside a giant roof rack. Uh-huh. And he was like, oh man, that's a nifty roof rack. I wonder whose it is. And Jack was like, oh, that's mine. And that's what made them friends. <laughs> that's when he decided he was definitely going to cast him, and they became fast friends for life. All over this Volkswagen roof, roof rack. rack. Wow. <laughs> um, originally, the worm that he finds in uh-huh. the mailbox is supposed was supposed to be chunks of flesh and bone. Ugh. So I guess it definitely was some sort of organic something, and yeah. eventually that would have formed into a toothy mouth. But you know, uh, it did open up into a mouth. In yeah. The end. At the um, end, it was also. Oh, yeah, I already said the baby was supposed to swallow him at the end. Yeah. Um, uh, so while filming, Lynch and Nance would have these long, strange conversations that they called skulls to sk- <laughs> skull <laughs> sessions. <laughs> I don't do good when there's too many S's and one S's word. <laughs> skull sessions where they would analyze everything that was happening inside Henry's head. Okay. So clearly, you know, they all had a good idea of what was happening. Yeah, very collaborative. Um, so for, for the everyman character, the term comes from a 15th century English morality, mor- God, I can't say any words today, morality play called Everyman. Mm-hmm. Um, in medieval times, the character was devoid of marks of individuality, and it's a cipher, so the audience can imagine themselves in the mm-hmm. same situation. So they occupy the role of protagonist without actually being a hero. And without necessarily being a rounded or dynamic character. Okay. They help shift focus from character development to events and storylines surrounding the character. Um, some examples of an everyman character would be the narrator in Fight Club, mm-hmm. um, Jim Halpert in The Office. Mm-hmm. Um, I was wondering, though. Okay, and this is for my Jane Austen slash David Lynch fans <laughs> out there. Would you consider Jane Austen as the narrator and every man character in her books? Because huh. she's kind of separate from the main character. She's kind of like a... Mm-hmm. But I don't know if you could call that an every man character. 
Mm. So I wouldn't necessarily call not by any of her heroes an everyman. No. Or every woman. <laughs> yeah, because they were considered, you know, progressive for their time. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like there are characters in her stories that are, I would consider probably everyman characters. But I feel like she, because I feel like an everyman character is representative of the majority. Which, uh, yeah. and not necessarily like size-wise, but like uh, what's being represented. And so clearly from beginning of time to <laughs> now it's always been white men yeah and so it's like it's hard to kind of like fit anyone else into those everyman slots yeah yeah i think it's more i was thinking of it because you know jim halper in the office is kind of mm-hmm. like someone who's kind of not a part of the f- i mean he's part of it but he's kind of standing above it and commenting yeah. on it yeah. and i know jane austen does that with her as the narrator in her books which yeah. you haven't actually read yet so yet. it might be kind of hard for you yeah but... Um, just a thought experiment for anyone out there who wants to write us and let us know what they think of that. Okay, so for Zodiac Sign, for um, Henry Spencer. Yes. I had two different ideas. Okay. Um, you know, Henry is not the best character, so, you know, I'm not trying to malign any signs with any of this. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, everyone, uh, I mean, I'm kind of into astrology, so everyone has all the signs in their personality because everyone has the full horoscope. Right. But, um just in terms of what I was thinking for Henry, I had two. And I think maybe he's got a little of both. Okay. Um, so first off, I was thinking maybe a Pisces. Mm-hmm. They are considered compassionate, artistic, intuitive, gentle, mm-hmm. fearful, overly <laughs> trusting, sad, and they have a desire to escape reality. They okay. like being alone. They like sleeping, music, they dislike being criticized and the past coming back to haunt them or cruelty of any kind. So part of that does kind of sound henry yeah. but some of it doesn't. Um, and then Virgo was the other thing I thought maybe. Okay. They are loyal, analytical, kind, practical, but they also have shyness and worry and are overly critical of themselves and others. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really all the negative traits that sound like Henry of both yeah. of these. Um, they're supposedly all work and no play, which is definitely not Henry since he seems to be on permanent vacation. Um, Seriously, all play. Likes animals, healthy food, cleanliness. Not Henry. Nope. Dislikes rudeness, asking for help, or taking center stage, which does kind of sound like him. So it's yeah. almost like he has the worst traits of both. <laughs> yeah. 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 So. I like that. What about... Um, I really couldn't think of a, this is a hard. house because I'm like, he would never be accepted. He'd go to muggle school. He would never be nope. accepted into Hogwarts. He'd be the worst <laughs> wizard. Um, I don't know. I feel like um, I want to say, and this is not just because he has a lot of bad traits, because um, a lot of people associate Slytherins with bad traits, but I would say Slytherin just because he seems to be self-ambitious, which people would call selfish. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he seems very, like, not wanting to... I mean, he does kill his baby. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't see any other house doing that. Well, that's not true. No. I could see yeah. Ravenclaw. I could kind of see Gryffindor Or maybe a Gryffindor. Um, but he just seems, like, um, very, like, worried about himself in a way. Like, he's only worried about his own yeah. progression because clearly by the end of the movie he kills his own baby because he does not want to be stuck with it. Yeah. Because he see he I would say he sees it as it holding him back. 
Yeah. I was thinking maybe Hufflepuff too, because I don't know mm-hmm. if Hufflepuffs are kind of like the more shy and kind of pushover types. Yeah, a little bit. Because he seems like a real like pushover. Oh, yeah. Like not wanting to be like a, a strong man or something like that. Yeah. So I could see maybe a cusp, Slytherin, so Hufflepuff. Yeah. Interesting mix. <laughs> Right, so I guess final thoughts. Do you want to go first? Oh, sure. Okay. <laughs> um, I mean, my final thoughts. I I enjoyed the movie a lot. I thought it, you know it was nothing what I expected it to be. Um, I thought it was just really it went real by really fast because you were you get so engrossed and you get like transported into uh-huh. the movie. I feel like. Um, I just like I, I've been trying to think about like what representate like what's been what's being represented and what's like the purpose of the movie and mm-hmm. um and i think it's all about like self-interpretation like using your own experiences and your own upbringing to kind of form an idea so i kind of see the movie itself as like an everyman like idea uh-huh. because it's like it seems like it's it could take on whatever form you give it yeah so yeah definitely yeah i mean I, David Lynch has said that no one has ever interpreted it correctly that he's right. ever read. So yeah, like, <laughs> but it's also like, especially like when you're doing these kinds of movies where it's it seems very like representative of him. Uh-huh. Um, it's you know you're never gonna have someone get it all the way correctly because it's his ideas, his life that yeah. he went through. So it's very like unique in that way. But I feel like he, what's great about this kind of genre of movie is that it is not general in the sense of like you know where it's like everyone can easily understand what it's about but you can definitely form your own opinions about it and it seems to fit in a way yeah and i actually really respect david lynch for that because i really appreciate that in an artist is Mm -hmm. not trying to make everything obvious and leaving everything you know leaving it up to interpretation and not trying to say no this is what it's about you know it's about what you think it's about because david lynch like i said earlier kind of describes his creative process as catching what's in the world like Uh you know these are stories that are already out there and he is just finding the pieces of them and putting them together telling them himself yeah yeah so i i don't know like i i see the man and the planet as like maybe an inner part of henry Mm-hmm. and yeah that's what i was thinking too yeah just like setting things in motion by pulling these levers and that's what kind of sets it's almost like not like his free will but kind of like the mechanics of henry like it's yeah. kind of like mechanical where it's like it's not like oh this is a choice like oh this is happening mm-hmm. so he sets these things in motion and which it caused i would say like the baby and um his wife to come to the picture and the woman across the hall Mm -hmm. and then the lady in the radiator is kind of like um maybe this symbolism of like the like i said like the purity part where it's like you know this is all wrong yeah like what's going on in your life is wrong you have the power to change it yeah here's how you do it and (laughs) it seems like the I don't know, like, I, w- I want to go ahead and, like, form the idea that the lady and the radiator and the man and the planet are, like, two sides of the same coin. Yeah. And so once Henry goes and follows the lady and the radiator's, like, you know, uh-huh. uh, path that he loses control of everything. Yeah. Which is the man trying to pull the leathers and he's not able to. That's yeah. what I kind of got from it. Yeah, I actually, uh, I feel like I'm right in line with you. And um, I do want to credit... Um, 
a heart a little blog i read and mm-hmm. i mean i didn't get all of my ideas from this blog but it did help kind of formulate what i was already thinking into kind of a coherent <laughs> kind of coherent <laughs> um it was by um i'm sure it's a handle or whatever epicus dumas mm-hmm. and it's called Eraserhead. i don't know much of anything and it's from twin peaks fanatic blogspot okay and okay maybe i'll just read this and see if it makes any sense okay okay Okay. i think Eraserhead is about the life we create for ourselves through our own thoughts choices and actions okay the sperm and the baby represent our manifestations into our own life what we create in our lives only through delving deep into our own psyche and confronting how our own choices and the thoughts we internalize, no matter how terrifying the prospect may be, and ultimately killing those parts of ourselves if necessary, can we truly transcend. Henry is drifting through a drab life, making few choices on his own. He seems to be on permanent vacation, but hasn't gone anywhere or done anything enjoyable. He just sits in his room where his only entertainment is a record player and radiator. His room is filled with dirt and dead plant life, and he has no agency in the raising of his child and is rarely proactive in its care. It takes a mental breakdown, or perhaps just an exceptionally poor choice, sleeping with his neighbor, um, to force him to confront his true fear, which is that the baby, a.k.a. the life he has created, even if it is an unconscious creation, will eventually take over any individuality he once had, leaving him nothing more than a tool of destruction, an eraser, with no personalization or creative force left in him. He therefore ultimately frees himself by killing his creation, even though the killing is terrifying and leaves him feeling eaten alive. Mm -hmm. But on the other side of that is heaven, where everything is all right, and focusing on the good things in life can create a new paradigm. Okay. Wow. (laughs) Wow. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. I totally get it. I like that. So though. that's what I wrote that's... after the final time of watching this movie. <laughs> so I think it's all about. I mean, it is about babies. They they <clears throat> represent a creation, but I don't right. think that it's about necessarily parenthood. I think it's about the life that we create mm-hmm. by you know by the man and the planet who is in our own head, right? And making choices that are we feel are outside of ourselves, but are mm-hmm. really inside and that only through like examining those and killing the parts of ourselves that are like causing all of this negativity in our lives can right. we have positivity so it's a lot i think that seems kind of like maybe a transcendental meditation view mm-hmm. i don't really know that much about transcendental meditation but Me i've read a lot of new age stuff in my life and i feel like there's kind of um similar mm-hmm. and most religions kind of have a very yeah. similar i um I don't know, like, the more I think about it, I also see the man in the moon and the lady in the radiator as, like, the mind and the heart and how we're, like, we're always battling between... Mm -hmm. Or the angel and the devil. Yeah. Yeah. Which are also can be examples of the mind and the heart as well. And, like, they're always battling with each other and how ultimately, like, emotions tend to be way more, like, fiery and powerful compared to logic Uh uh-huh um and maybe that's like a comment on the time yeah society as a whole but um it's almost like the mind well no keep going i was just say like the mind losing control is at the end where it's like you know logic has completely left him after this mental breakdown and he just 
passionately like wants to be himself again yeah but it's like it's one of those things where your choices have well, it's almost like the man in the planet is the mm-hmm. unconscious choices and those are the things that are causing yeah. the destruction uh-huh. where the harder but more conscious choices are the lady and the radiator who uh-huh. are actually causing you to be happier in the end yeah well i wonder like my question to you is like do you see the lady and the radiator as good or bad i, or, I mean... feel like you have to see her as good even though she does um um encourage like the ultimate act. destruction i don't know if it's an evil act because i don't know that that baby wasn't evil in itself right. you know it, <laughs> um i feel like the baby really is more of a representation yeah of um, course but I think that we're supposed to think of her as good because, first of all, it's all she's all in light. She's the only one that smiles. She's right. singing about liking the things that you like and other people liking the things that they like right. and how everything is good when we can all like what we like. <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know. Like, I feel like... And the man is definitely diseased yeah. and gross and he's in the black holes and yeah. i wonder if it's like a comment on like surface level interpretations of things because like surface wise you think that the lady in the radar is supposed to be good because she's light mm-hmm. and she seems very innocent almost yeah besides like until you get to the point where she's like kill your baby yeah <laughs> but uh the man of the, and the man of the moon it seems really menacing uh-huh. but i wonder if it's a comment on um surface like surface wise like what you see in other people because um Surface-wise, we're seeing Henry as this kind of innocent, almost like losing control of his own life, and just like he wants to, you almost like sort of want to root for him at points. Uh-huh. But I find myself not really liking Henry at all. Oh no! Um, <laughs> but like in a sense of where like I, I don't think he's inherently a good person because he has these, um, you know, where he finds out that he has this child and he neglects it basically he does not want to care for it he ends up killing it and so i wonder if it's a comment on like surface level like the lady in the radiator is like you know what henry sees as good Uh but to like maybe like in general it's escapism escapism and how it's like he wants to do whatever he can and he sees lady in the radiator as like a good force in helping him get away yeah but clearly he's losing control by the man. And it's just so many I actually things. heard someone just the other day um, describing it as um, a comment on toxic masculinity. Oh, yeah. That that's what the movie is about. And um, I could see that, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's kind of the beauty of it. You, there's, there's so much to like, be found I feel in like it. there's endless interpretations <laughs> you could pull from it. And it's just like it's so fun to talk about. Yeah. And I really love I really love that, like, he created this movie. Because I feel like I can. Yeah. There's so I keep pulling things and it, like you can. I think it's a teachable moment. Yeah. Lots of teachable moments. And you can really see just in terms of David Lynch's career, like it's almost like he starts off with this mm-hmm. kind of crazy movie, and then he almost pulls back and does more, a little more mainstreamish. But by the end of his career, which I mean, you've seen a little bit of the most recent Twin Peaks. Yeah. It's almost back to this first stage of his career like i agree i mean he's had all these elements throughout all of them but like they're not they haven't been as large like a more polished version yeah what he was originally trying to do yeah yeah i wonder if it's like that full circle moment where you know it kind of almost like a racer head where we start off with henry as you know just himself and he goes through all these life changes whether they're real or not yeah and he he's a completely different person by the end oh yeah He's definitely. But it's also like he's different but the same. Yeah. But then there's also, I mean, you could put an interpretation that maybe he killed himself. Yeah. 
and you know maybe it was i mean if you want to get real literal it could right. have been like a murder suicide you know oh for sure sh- yeah i mean well yeah so <laughs> what do stuff. you think what do you think a yes, head is about please write us in and let us know um yeah, so many interpretations we want to hear i mean you might have the right idea <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? we're, we will accept all interpretations because there's definitely no right way to no. interpret it so yeah let's do our recommendations for this week okay um do you want to go first or you want me um i can go first okay i would like to recommend a youtube show done by a dear friend of both of ours i think we were both involved in the making of it as well yes a um bit. a little bit i was just like an extra in one of the episodes. <laughs> i was just script supervisor <laughs> but um but it's it's by a friend named laura um malden yeah <laughs> i almost called her laura Farrell. <laughs> no <laughs> too many lauras um laura malden yes and hopefully she will come and be a guest on this podcast one day um she's one of our first listeners <laughs> yes yes we appreciate it but she made this web series last year. She's working on season two right now yes. called Lemon Curd. Mm-hmm. Um, like the pie. Is that a pie? A lemon, lemon curd, curd pie? I'm sure. <laughs> um, it's um, on YouTube. Mm-hmm. You can find it under I think Lemon on Curd. Facebook as well, I want to say. It's like, um, how many episodes? Six? I think so. I think so. Yeah, like um, maybe around six episodes. They're like 10, 15 minute, and it's very funny. It's, she, yeah. She's like doing a cooking show and all of her crazy redneck neighbors. Yes. And... <laughs> so it takes place, I think, in Middleburg, Florida. Yeah. Which, um, <laughs> right down the hall. <laughs> yeah. Which is like, you know, real country part of uh, Jacksonville, <laughs> like right outside of Jacksonville, but it's kind of where I, like near where I grew up. So I've, I always laugh at all the things she puts yeah. in because I'm like, oh, okay. It's got a, a little bit of there. absurdist humor to it too. So <laughs> yeah, it's it's great. We love it. Yeah, I love we love Laura. I mean, she, I think she's very talented. I, I love her and oh yeah, and she's such you know. a sweetie pie. Yes, she's awesome. <laughs> she's really talented. So yeah, definitely check that out. You'll love it. Yes, my recommendations. I have two. Um, they're both uh, TV shows. The first one is um, Marvelous Mrs. Maisel's back. Oh. Yes. Oh, yes. I'm yeah. so excited. I forgot. Just watched the first episode last night, and I, it continues to be, like, one of my favorite shows of all time. I I'm all, I love every single episode. There's not a bad episode. Thank God for the Gilmore guys getting me into Amy into Sherman Bell's yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, I just, oh, my God. I don't understand it. Rachel Brosnahan is a genius. Yeah. I just, she is that character. It's mm-hmm. so perfect. And I love Susie, who, who plays... Oh my um, god, I'm like, I'm so mad right now because I know it's usually right at the top of my head, but yes, um, it's always when you want to like, um, when you want to, um, when you want to remember, it, you yeah, can't. yeah, that's my um, life. <laughs> Alex Borstein. Alex Borstein. Oh my god, god that's, duh. She's amazing. Yeah, she's great on it. My favorite character is Rose, her mom. Oh yeah, um, she was great Maisel. last season. <laughs> she's on it the uh, first episode, and I, I was... love Tony Shalhoub so much. <laughs> you can't not love Tony Shalhoub. Um, but it's just like this funny scene because, you know, old school Jewish family, like arguing all the time and <laughs> in the middle of it, I looked at Josh and I was like, don't you, is it bad that I kind of wish this was my dynamic? <laughs> because I just like, it seems like, like you could feel the love, but it's just so funny. Yeah. So funny. Um, but I love that I show. I couldn't ever 
talk fast enough to keep up with that family. <laughs> <laughs> I was say, uh, being in a you know Cuban family, it's like da 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 da. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I love that show. And my second recommendation is uh, making it. Oh, yes. hosted by Nick Offerman and Amy Poehler. <laughs> Both shows I need to watch immediately. <laughs> yes, the new season just started recently, and it's just like I love Amy Poehler. I love her so much. <laughs> she's amazing. I, you know, so thankful for all the stuff she's made because it's just like brought so much joy. Oh yeah. And this show is like no badness at all. It's like literally the American version of the Great British Bake Off. I'm so happy. You love every contestant. You love all the hosts, and it's just. <laughs> It's so good. And, like, you, I'm always marveled by the talent that they, like, how people create these things. I'm like, okay, I could never. Oh, I know. You look I mean, at I haven't seen the season and... yet, but I am super excited. This season is great. It's, wow. I love it. So watch all those things, please. <laughs> I've been sucked into an eraser head hole for yeah. the past two weeks. <laughs> yeah, this is just simple, pure joy and, yeah, you know, just feeling like oh, you want to create something. Well, I'm excited to watch both of those. Yes. Um... And oh, I guess Merry Christmas. Yeah. And happy holidays. Merry Yule. I'm having a Yuletide party this year. Yes. And um, next week, um, we're doing a mashup slash check-in episode. By the time this comes out, we'll probably have already recorded it. Yeah. But please write us with anything, any crazy eraser head theories, and we will definitely read them as soon as we get them yes and um anything sort of like how Eraserhead would mash up with pride and prejudice and you yeah. know what i mean like just i really really fun. i think for, for this episode i'm gonna try to write a um a scene that is like elizabeth bennett if she wasn't an absurdist Eraserhead <laughs> style movie it, really what, interesting. how we would interpret that so <laughs> we'll see i'd like to hear other people who maybe are actual better writers <laughs> <laughs> who write really well for their like maybe their livelihood or something yeah so um yeah definitely um come back next week and check out our uh check-in check out our check-in episode <laughs> for mashup we still haven't come up with a real good title for these but if you have an idea for that write us in yeah. and you can contact us to do that um on <laughs> our gmail is manners and madness yep. gmail um our you can dm us on twitter at manners madness or on instagram at manners and madness pod or actually if you go to manners and and visit our anchor page they have a little button on there that you can press and record a voice memo if you'd Ooh, like yes so that might that be fun that'd be really fun <laughs> you wait it might be easier than typing everything out it might be <laughs> although sometimes i find it hard to wrap my brains around a spoken message you yeah. know like sometimes especially when it's like a razor head it's easier to just like Typo. Take a, take some time to think about what you're saying. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but um, either way, we would love to hear from you. And um, yeah, so come back next week and join us for the check-in. Yes. Thank you for listening. Thank you. Good night. Bye.